your Bible class. Um, let us uh, open in prayer, please. Our Lord and our God and our Father, in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we give thee thanks that thou hast brought us into thy house this morning, that we may grow in the knowledge of Christ. We pray, Lord, that thou would give that help that's needed, Lord, to hear, to hear aright and to apply it in our lives, that we may know ourselves subject to him and loving him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Lord, may it please thee to give that help, Lord, even in the bringing of this, this word and this doctrine this morning. And Lord, forgive thou our sins, for we pray in the name of thy Son. Amen. <clears throat> Please open uh, your copies of God's Word to Second Thessalonians. So Second Thessalonians, the New Testament. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then one and two Thessalonians. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll read a few verses from verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and reading from verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Amen. And so we move on to a new commandment this week as we come back into the Shorter Catechism. And as you can tell by the, uh, what we've just read, it's concerning the, the Eighth Commandment, and so from question 73, which is the Eighth Commandment, and the Eighth Commandment is, thou shalt not steal. And then moving on from that is, is what is required in the Eighth Commandment. And that's the usual way that the Westminster Divines treat Every commandment, they look at the requirements of it, as it was, as it were, the, the um, not what it forbids, not the the, the negative command and, and negative, in the sense of that which says do not do, um, but the positive side of the commandment, the duty that we are to do, and so that's what we have with question seventy-four. What is required in the eighth commandment? And the answer is the eighth commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. So what is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. 
And so now we uh, come to examine what is required. We see in its, its positive uh, side uh, to the commandment. Um, and as we work our way through it, we'll notice to some degree it leads us to two, two conclusions, two practices that are well known, of course. Firstly is the work ethic. We call it the Protestant work ethic, although it's not only Protestants that uh, know how to work, but it was certainly a great influence upon Roman Catholic Europe with its many, many, many feast days, many days of saints' days and days off, and if you go to modern-day France, that's still the case. Many, many days off because it is, a, although a secular country, still a Roman Catholic country, Italy's the same. But the Protestants came in and um, did away with that, understanding the one day in seven is the rest day um, for, for the people of God. And so there were six days of work, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. So taking it from the commandment. But the, the working, the working to provide for yourself and working to provide for, for others. And so with that work ethic, we also have something called capitalism. That is the understanding that you have possessions they are your possessions, no one, not even the government, takes them off you, uh, and you are free um, to a certain degree to do with, what, with those possessions as you will. And why do I say within a certain degree? Well, because the Lord, the Lord owns everything, and the Lord even commands how we, are to, how we are to use those things that he has given us. And not just capitalism, but let me just say honest, biblical capitalism, because of course there are huge uh, banking systems which are far from godly and honest or globalist systems which are all about greed and of course when people are taught, taught uh, especially in, in modern day education uh, they look at the worst aspects of global greed and capitalism say that's well that's capitalism and therefore the only solution is communism is what they would say but when we examine some of this we'll see the work ethic and we'll see uh, the need of personal, private, capital, capitalism. But <clears throat> they will come forth as we open up the scriptures and examine this, uh, these two um, catechism questions, 73 and 74. So the, the title of this uh, teaching on the Shorter Catechism is The Rights of Personal Property. You could add that, The Rights and Duties of Personal Property. But we see firstly, and we have uh, three points, the lawful procurement of possessions, the lawful procurement of possessions. And that's how the catechism uh, begins. Uh, it says, the eighth commandment requireth the lawful procurement. The lawful procurement, it goes on to say furthering, but we'll look at that in a minute. But the lawful procurement of what? Of wealth and our outward, outward estate. So it's talking about lawful standards. Well, what lawful standards? Would that be the the lawful standards uh, of the land? Well, first of all, just on a one-to-one -one basis, if we think of what's lawful, what's, what's right in the way that we do things, it is the exchange of goods and services and properties at a mutually agreed price, uh, and that neither party is under duress, because one party might need to sell because they need finances, but the, the, the buyer is not at shotgun forced to uh, buy a property or to buy something and certainly not at an inflated price more than he could buy it elsewhere. Of course, inflation is an unfortunate part of, of life in the modern world. So therefore, it includes this. It's the treating of the other party with the same respect 
In fact, the same love that you would want to be uh, respected yourself. So loving your neighbor as, as thyself, as the word says in many places. Galatians 5 and verse 14 is what it, I have quoted here. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So it's an important part of the, the moral law. So regardless of the, of the laws of the land, which could be very godless, it is the lawful procuring. It is according ultimately to God's standards. So you want, your, you want to be treated fairly in a transaction. You want your property to be left alone and not attacked or destroyed or stolen. And therefore, you will do the same to others in loving thy neighbor as thyself. So what lawful standards? Well, ultimately, the law of God, the law of love, is that which directs us regardless of how corrupt the laws of the land are. Secondly, moving on, uh, when we're considering the requiring, uh, sorry, the lawful procuring, is how do you get money in the first place? How do you obtain money? Will you obtain money from work? And how can you get decent work? Well, I think the, the following step is that you be diligent in your studies. Not that everyone has the same academic leaning or the academic ability. I'm not saying that everyone has to go and get a PhD uh, at all, but at least the basics of good reading, writing, and, and arithmetic are, are just needed for functioning in a, in a simple society, or, or the, the basics you need in, in society at its most simple. But where God has granted genuine academic ability, there's no... Then studies could be furthered because you would like a professional qualification, whether it's in blue-collar work or white-collar work or whatever it might be. And, and maybe these days, blue-collar qualifications are better obtained uh, than going into uh, these cesspit of Marxist indoctrination halls called universities. Uh, that might be advisable. But in any case, it's the idea of being able to study to further yourself so that you're able to get a better job and able to uh, establish yourself more, establish yourself more and establish a family that you have work, you have income, and maybe improve that work and income. The, the, the scriptures are not socialist. The scriptures are not anti-capital in the slightest. Uh, the Lord is not against this. The Lord blesses us with these matters and with these things. And so when we've had a diligent study, so lawful exchange, diligent study, and then honest work, because that's what, that's what, that's what any level of education is to lead to, is to lead to work, and then honest work. Of course, there are many jobs that as Christians we, we should not do and, and cannot do. But that lawful exchange of goods, the protection of the goods, the fruit of our labors even in study, um, is only possible, and, uh, sorry, uh, and then the, the products we're able to buy, the possessions we're able to have are only possible when honest work is involved. So, of course, illicit, immoral uh, activities, so see, those that are immoral in, in many levels, financially immoral, you're not going to be involved in, in the gangsters, um, the gangs, you're not going to be involved in things that are uh, clearly and obviously immoral to earn some money. But, but it will be honest work, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. So we see there also an aspect of the employer is, uh, and if you are to be the employer, that you would give your employees that which they have earned. But we're not going to go into that detail 
<clears throat> today that would come up more so in what is forbidden in the seventh in the eighth commandment so honest study or diligent study and honest work to obtain private property and necessity of laboring or of having honest labor is is emphasized in the scripture enforced even and we see that clearly from what paul says uh, even in chapter 10 of what we read this morning and he argues from the natural necessity to eat because you need to eat you need to work to earn your daily bread and he goes from that very basic necessity we, we pray for it give us this day our daily bread and paul says in second in thessalonians 3 and verse 10 for even when we were with you this we commanded you that if any would not work neither should he eat and so that we have that daily necessity laid down in a, as an example for the need to work for all our daily necessities for cl- clothing uh, for shelter um, we have to work for all our needs and we have to pay for all our needs before we even think of the next step which would be maybe luxuries things that we we don't need but we would like again the Bi- the bible does not say that we're not to buy those things that we we would like and say we have to live on bread and water and nothing else uh, but of course that needs to be paid for the daily food and the level quality of food is determined by how much we're able to to earn so to the believer it's made very clear that, that, that there is to be work there is to be no laziness no slacking uh, but there is to be diligent and honest work and the scripture also emphasizes that to the convert when the converts come into the church the same thing is said that you know you need to work uh, and that sinful laziness that led to well in this case as we're thinking of theft uh, they may have been thieves or they might have been very easy when it came to personal property in their in their heathen lives in their life of unbelief but that's to be repented of and then now to learn to be hard-working uh, uh, Christians as a new life in Christ has begun and Paul mentions that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 he says let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth so then he not only can he pay his own way but he will have a surplus some of which he can use for the benefit of others uh, and we look at that in the very last point that we're looking at today so we've seen something of the lawful procurement of possessions private uh, property uh, is understood where, where it is said thou shalt not steal uh, no, you may know that uh, that that, um, that worthless uh, academic and publisher and uh, uh, Satanist uh, called Karl Marx uh, that he was uh, against all of this he said all property is theft and that's that seems so convincing to so many people but what he's saying is is all property that you own specifically he's thinking of property of of manufacturing he's not necessarily talking about your own personal uh, car but it depends on how you would it is applied in a socialist or communist state but he said all property is theft because he believes all property belonged to the party belonged to the state and not to anybody individually and of course who is there writing the rules of the state well it's Karl Marx so Karl Marx wants to steal from you and then say all property is theft and I'm sure there are many nuances uh, to be understood in that statement but that's not true it's the Lord that gives it to the people individually 
And so we have a right to possess, because if there was no personal, possession, uh, personal right of possession, then there would be no command that thou shalt not steal, uh, directed to us personally. So the lawful procurement of possessions leads on to the lawful increase of wealth. The lawful increase of wealth, that's what it then says. As examines thou shalt not steal. The eighth commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate. So it's not just working hard just to pay the bills and maybe have a little bit extra uh, to help those in need as we'll look at. Uh, but you are allowed to work hard and earn well. So once you've earned those necessities, diligent and hard work will continue to be blessed to you. You will continue to reap the benefits and the blessings of hard work. But, but how is that wealth not only earned, but how is it contained? How is it kept? As I'm just paying all these, all these bills all the time. Uh, you've paid the necessities too, that's true. Uh, but look at careful frugality is important. Careful frugality. So saving and investing. Being frugal in the management of the monies that we have, that is being careful, I didn't say stingy or miserly, that's going, to a, uh, that's going to a sinful side of frugality. Frugality is being careful with that which you have. It's the same with the difference between stiff-necked and steadfast. One is a sinful aspect and steadfast is a, is a good and honorable aspect of, of standing your ground. So we see that here would be in a spectrum as well, frugality on one hand and stinginess on the other. Now, that's not what the Lord is about. Being frugal with what we have, but still being generous when needed. And as I said, we'll come to that very shortly. But being frugal is, is the way to not only maintain the wealth we have, but even to increase it, to have sufficient, sufficient extra funds in times of need, in our own personal emergencies, and a, a bill suddenly comes in, and it needs to be paid, and it's far higher than you were expecting, that we have that for ourselves is a prudent way, therefore, of dealing with your finances that you learn to put aside uh, for, uh, well, we could go into other aspects and other applications that we have enough put aside uh, from our money for the Lord's uh, work. Uh, we're not looking at that this morning, but the principle is the same. The principle is the same. We have enough uh, to pay for our own our own necessities, uh, but then we have uh, sufficient uh, to help others, but also to help ourselves. So from that sufficiency, we have uh, the, the money for the Lord, we have uh, any extras, we have an emergency fund, and as I said, and as we'll look at for extras for work of charity, but how do you maintain, how do you obtain that modest surplus? Well, by having a moderation in your expenses, and not just saying the money comes in, and it just, it goes out again. Uh, in, in, indeed, we have the right to spend our own money that we, that we are given, but we also have the duty uh, to be careful with that money. It doesn't just come in and out. We, we never have a surplus. We never have that extra money saved. And if we don't have that extra money saved, we couldn't then invest it in something. In, investing in matters is, is a very biblical uh, truth. We see that in the parables of the Lord himself. But even going back to Proverbs 31, speaking of the, the Proverbs 31 woman, it, it says that that's one of the things that she does, Proverbs 31 and verse 16. It says, She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. 
And we know from that context is that she is making things, selling things, earning some extra money, saving that money so she's able to make an investment, in this case, in a, in a plot of land. So it's important then to have that mind of careful frugality, of being careful with what the Lord gives. And an aspect of that is then something called delayed gratification, that if you, uh, the idea of you're careful with your money, you learn to save your money, that you have something, uh, you're not just going to spend when the money comes in, something called delayed gratification, that, that you will learn to save until the right time has come, uh, maybe when you have saved up, so you're being careful with your money, you're paying all your bills that you have to, you're just saving that little bit extra, and it might take a year, it might take two years, it might take ten years until you're able to buy that which you would like to buy, you would like to invest in. Invest in. And by that time, of course, the, the price may have gone down, it may come in a sale, maybe you're waiting for the sale to come up. This is, this is all the idea of being frugal as opposed to just giving in to the immediate impulse and desire to buy something. And the good, and the good point of delayed gratification, not only could you wait until it's in, in the sales, but it could also be the fact that by the time it comes around for you to buy it, that impulse, that strong fleshly desire to buy that thing has gone. You no longer have this great impulse to buy the, the newest iPhone or, or whatever it might be. And so that may have passed. So that's also a a good thing, and then you've got that extra money for a rainy day or for a further investment uh, to increase your own personal wealth as well as the wealth of the family, which is also something to be uh, understood from scriptural principles of, of saving, of investing, that you also have something to give to the next generation, that you establish something which then the, the next generation can build on, and if they've taken on the the same um, scriptural qualities of, of hard work, of, of hard study, um, uh, saving, being frugal, and all these matters, that then they can pass those benefits on to the, to the next generation. And increasing the wealth, of course, is something that we do, having looked at all that, is, is, is continuous work. Is this continues, it's not just a one-off thing, because there is progress. Progress is is given when we, can, when we continue in that hard work and being frugal, not mean, but frugal with that which we have and then making those investments. We, we know, those that know, that there's, it's the experience of the young married couple. The young married couple, that maybe they bought a house or they're still renting, and so they're working, they're being very frugal, and, and in the course of time, you know, five years, ten years, fifteen years, uh, they've managed to uh, improve their frugality, they've managed to increase their savings and investment, maybe even got a mortgage, maybe even sold their first house and then have some capital uh, to improve their circumstances. It's, it's also the same experience of somebody on the lowest ladder in, in, in the business. That they, they come in and they're, they're on the lowest wages, but every year there will be some increase. Um, maybe they're able to get promotion because they're working hard, they're diligent, they're honest, they're being noticed by the boss. And, and so we see with, with continual work to be in improvement, the experience of, of immigrant families, and they start afresh in a new country, they, they, they come across, they're having to learn the language, having to learn the customs, the systems, sending the children to school, and, and, and step by step, as they're diligent, they're able to work hard and earn hard. We see that with... with, 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 with uh, uh, with the Chinese as they, as they, uh, and the Filipinos as they've come in uh, to this nation, Sikhs, the Sikhs who've come in from India, 
uh, almost taken over the, the trucking business in BC at least, um, because of a, a diligent, hard-working attitude and a frugality, and, were, were, and, and they're not just working for their own self, they're not just working to buy the next thing from Best Buy or from, from Canadian Tire, they're, they're thinking of generations. And so they have that idea, we're going we're gonna to establish ourselves in this land, and we're going to work hard, and we're going to save hard, and we're going to uh, work, and we're going to enjoy the fruits of our labor. And, and that sort of mindset we see is rewarded. It's rewarded by the Lord. You even see that not only in pagans coming into this nation, but in pagan nations. Look at, look at a place like Japan. Japan, a place where the gospel has not has not really managed to uh, get much ground uh, over, over the last few hundred years, uh, which is a great, a great sadness, of course, and yet but they are a hard-working nation that understands something about the rule of law, so there's order, there's hard work, much hard work, maybe too much at the cost of families and the matter, at least of peace within the families but there is much work, hard work, and so there is much blessing of God, but we must confess as Christians that just putting the nose to the grindstone, not just working hard ourselves, uh, that we are unable to fully further our wealth and outward estate, and certainly unable to, to bear the, the brunt of difficulties as we're trying to study, and there might be illness that comes in the way, or as we're working and in our company, uh, goes bust, bankrupt, and, and, and then we have no work anymore. Whatever the circumstances are in life, increasing inflation, that we're unable to pay for the necessities as easily as we used to, whatever it might be. But we can't do all these things in our own ability and sweat alone if the Lord's blessing is not upon it. And that's the important thing. Because without the Lord's blessing and help, we couldn't ride these storms of life easily. Especially when we've put that hard work in to study and we've got our qualifications, and we've got our job, and we're saving hard, we're working hard, and yet something can come along, a new tax coming along. Uh, as I said, all the, these other matters that can come in. So the Lord's blessing to ride the difficulties, but the Lord's blessing uh, to be uh, even more uh, successful in that thing that we put our hands to. Proverbs 10 and verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. So, a right motivation is necessary when we're considering as we work under God, as we study under God, as we desire to further our own wealth under God, that what is the motivation? Say there is a threefold motiv motivation to obtain the fullest blessing of God is firstly, why are we working to obtain this stuff? Well, it is to honor the Lord, to honor the Lord honor the Lord in what we do, whatever you do, whatsoever you do, uh, you do it to the glory of God, but in the sense that to honor the Lord with your substance. Again, we go back to Proverbs 3 and verse 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so we're to honor him, we're to give that portion back to him. And I won't go now into the, the principle uh, of, of tithing, although the tithing itself in the Old Testament is based upon agricultural produce. It's not based upon money, but there is many other times to give. So it's not just, it's 10% it's of agricultural income, 
that's true in the, in, 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 in the law. We see a principle beforehand with, 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 uh, with Abraham and the spoils of war given to Melchizedek. Again, within that context, he didn't give all of his, he didn't give a tenth of his money constantly to Melchizedek. It was the spoils of war in that particular context. And yet, the, what we understand in, in, uh, in the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, that we understand that there is plenty more opportunity to give to the work of the Lord, to give to the Lord free will offerings, peace offerings that are given to the Lord, given to the, the Levites, given to the, the high priest, given to the temple, the tabernacle beforehand. And so we see that the Lord desires that we would give to his work and, and certain, certain principles and, and percentages are given at certain points. And, but not all of them are. It's, it's more complicated than just turning around and say, well, the Old Testament said 10%, you must give 10%. Because if you add it all up, it it's probably works out to be 24%. If you add up all these free will offerings every year and you give this much, your temple tax, you have to give so much. So it's more than 10%. But the point of the matter is, is that is the Lord loveth a cheerful giver is that we give cheerfully and freely to the Lord. But I'm not, saying, I'm not saying the tithing is not a very good principle. It's a very good principle. Uh, I just don't believe it's a, a command in the New Testament church. But it's probably the minimum that we should give. But that's another matter. That's a, that's a sermon uh, or two or three in any case. But in any case, we, we honor the Lord with our substance. We honor uh, his, his work. We honor the, uh, the church, the word, work of evangelism, of the Great Commission, uh, of missions and the like. But also to live comfortably ourselves. We honor the Lord when we work hard and enjoy the fruits of our labor. So we're not working hard and then we're going home and we've got a stale loaf of bread and we've got some lukewarm water and, and we think, in some way, that, that's, a, that's a pious act. It isn't. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 19 says, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. So we're allowed to enjoy uh, that steak. We're allowed to enjoy uh, those vegetables. We're allowed to enjoy uh, that evening in the restaurant or wherever it might be we're allowed to enjoy the fruit of our labor but again without denying the need of frugality but again that frugality should not lead lead to miserliness so we're, we're allowed to enjoy that as the gift of god to use the language of solomon in ecclesiastes but thirdly also to be useful to others to be useful to others and we've already We've already read from this, Ephesians 4 and 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth, which brings us to our last point as we're examining the requirements of the Eighth Commandment. So we've seen the lawful procurement of possessions, which is included uh, our understanding of, of of the Protestant work ethic and of personal capitalism, free exchange of goods and services as agreed on between uh, two private citizens. And then thirdly, uh, secondly then, the lawful increase of that wealth, so that demands that there's frugality, uh, demands a, 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 a biblical attitude towards the monies that we've been able to not just pay for our necessities, but uh, build up surplus for saving, uh, and for investments and for the like, and all to be done 
to the glory of God in those three ways. And then finally, the mutual fruits of honest industry. The mutual fruits of honest industry. And so the requirement is, we read in this uh, question um, 74, what is required in the Eighth Commandment? And the answer is, the Eighth Commandment requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward state of ourselves and others. So we've understood that now from the whole context is, 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 is helping ourselves in, in, in furthering our, our, uh, the blessings of God to ourselves for the necessities of life and then for the investments and, and the like. But now we're looking at the mutual fruits of honest industry. And we're, we're able to procure and further the wealth and outward estate of others uh, in many ways. I think there are two main ways that we could look at. Uh, from what we've already looked at. Firstly, that private wealth benefits others. Private wealth benefits others. Uh, and we see that because we, we can exercise justice and righteousness to all uh, in, in this way, in, in, in the way that Psalm 15 and verse 2 uh, would help us to understand. Psalm 15 and verse 2. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. So there's a, a walking uprightly, a working righteousness. That's the, that's the, the word that we're looking at, is that, that we work righteously. So again, it comes back to the fact that it's a moral industry that we are involved in, uh, but it means that we're also able to work that which is good and do that which is good to others and for others. It's not just a, a personal, uh, selfish, just not just thinking about ourselves or just our own family, but we are thinking about uh, others. And so we're able to then deal with others as we would have them deal with us in that exchange. So the fair exchange, the idea of capital and capitalism, good, biblical, fair capitalism, uh, not the globalism of, of the world's markets, um, and banking systems, but that which is, is done to another. So we're going to be honest with that which we sell to someone else. We want them to be honest with that which they sell to, to us. So as I've, I've already mentioned, just to emphasize it, that we were in another, if we were in a, someone else's place, we would, we would not want them to do something which is unjust towards us. And so we have respect for another person's wealth as we would like them to have respect for our wealth. That's, that's, that's the idea of, of, of others as our attitude towards them. We would then encourage them to work, encourage them, and be pleased for them. You see, a right attitude in the Eighth Commandment protects us from sinning in the Tenth Commandment, which is coveting. So you're happy with that which that person has worked for, the way the Lord has, has blessed them, and you have no desire or intention to take from them or to reduce it. And so we have a respect for another man's uh, wealth. It has positive effects upon society, has positive effects upon those, those, those single or repeated interactions that we have. We, we won't steal from them and decrease their wealth. Uh, and we share in the benefits of, a, of an honest capitalist community with them. And we then feel safe to, 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 to buy and to sell either directly or indirectly because we might not be buying from, from them, but we might be buying from a company for which they work. And so we're helping our neighbor in, in that way. 
And, and the, by the increase of wealth, as we're putting in these investments that we were talking about in, in the furthering of wealth in, in the second point, is that we may be able ourselves to invest in a company or to start a company or to a business and whereby employees are needed, new jobs are created, new services are made, and new products come on the market. And, and so we're involved in, this, in, in a system that increases the wealth for everyone. And that's certainly what we've seen um, in the last 100 and 150 years. Um, we can go back to the Industrial Revolution that started uh, increasing people's wealth um, to some degree, but it's certainly within, from the beginning of the 1900s, is that wealth went together with, a, with, a, um, with an understanding of the responsibilities to society of, those, um, of all those who were increasing their wealth, that there was a need for, and it really comes down to this, uh, that there was a need for good sewage systems, good clean running water. And when that was brought in and, and people were prepared to pay for that and people were prepared to vote for that, uh, that all these other benefits came in. There's no point in having money if, you're, if, you're, if you die at the age of 40. There's not much you can really pass on. You've, all those 25, 30 extra years of working have been, um, you've not been able to, to do and save and invest more. But when that was the case, as, as people's life expectancy has increased as the general health in society, because when you're ill, you can't work. But when all that has increased, uh, then we see that, the, 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 that these... This generation, the previous generation, the generation before, we did see that wealth has increased more and more, uh, more jobs, uh, etc., more blessing. And so when we extend these principles and understand, we see more and more uh, the, the danger of the socialist idea of the redistribution of wealth, that some, a group of politicians, most of whom have never worked a day in their life, in the sense of an industry or whether blue collar or white collar ever uh, are deciding according to an ideology how your money is to be taken from you and given to people whom you would not give it to. You're taken out of the equation of having worked hard for it and then deciding what I want to be done with my money. And this is when it goes uh, to an extreme. Of course, as we understand, it is a, it is a biblical principle that those that rule the land, the king, uh, and, and by extension, the government is allowed to tax, in other words, to pay for these uh, matters of government. And yet we see that it becomes a, a sinful idea and even comes to the point that thou shalt not steal is then pointed towards the government. Mm. That the government thou shalt not steal by t heavy taxation or even by government benefits, where government benefits, benefits are given to people so that they have no incentive to work at all. And so again, the, 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 it's not just the wealthy who are plundered in, 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 uh, in taxes uh, by any means, the, although they do pay a large percentage of the tax. Everybody that earns is ha and earns honestly has to pay honestly. So but they plunder the wealthy and punish the thrifty citizen. If you've got too much savings or you earn too much, then the government can use that against you. Anyway, so we are to, uh, we are to have private wealth because private wealth does benefit others when we're considering of, a, of an honest and biblical capitalist community, if I can use it in that way, just to take us away from the idea of, of global capitalism being, being, the, uh, being a good thing, but I don't believe it is. Uh, but personal capitalism, 
and freedom to do so is a good thing. It benefits others, it benefits you, and it's how the, as I said, this is how uh, society has been able to improve itself uh, under God. But also for this, uh, procuring and furthering the wealth and outward uh, state of others is also through uh, private wealth for charitable acts. Private wealth for charitable acts for those that really are at the bottom end of, of society and and need relief, need help in those necessities of life to get them back on their feet as much as that's able. Because if they're ill and, and unable, if they're crippled in some way, then that maybe reduces what they're able to do, but not entirely. And there are many people, if they're just helped and, and, and brought into a stable uh, condition, whether it's that's an, an emotional or a physical or a medical thing, are able to do some work. But we do need to have a heart of charity. Uh, John says so in his first letter, 1 John 3 and 17. He says, But whoso hath this world's good, that's what we've been talking about, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That's a very, very direct question from the apostle. So you see somebody has need, uh, and you don't give it, then John puts a huge question mark against everything that you would profess as regarding faith. So we are to be, we are to be givers. We are to give to those that need. And in fact, charities, hospitals, and schools were all originally the initiative of churches and, and believers, either as a private initiative or an extension work of the church. And that was originally the case in the, in the 1700s, the 1800s. And in certain places, in, well, into the 1900s. Now, the state has come along and taken away, has taken away that from the church, and in certain churches have given it away to the government, uh, and they've regretted it ever since. But now the state seems to do an awful lot of these works of charity and has control, therefore, over the policies and the funding of, of charitable institutions. And yet, on a personal level, the, the relieving of the necessities of a poor is a personal duty. It's a personal duty that we have because it is a furthering of the outward estate of a neighbor in need. And it is a moral duty. If we go back to Proverbs 19 and verse 17, it says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. So often we will look at people and we're going to, and I'm not saying we don't use discernment and wisdom, but we don't always know. Not everyone that is in that particular case is equal. When you look at somebody, uh, say a, a, a single parent living in a basement uh, and they haven't got enough to pay uh, the, 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 the bills and they're really in financial difficulty and then, and then we, we scratch our heads and say, yeah, but you're still able to smoke 10 cigarettes a day or whatever it is and then we think, well, therefore I will not give you. Uh, there's something to be said of that and yet it says, he, he that hath pity upon the poor. And, that, and that's not given with condition. He that hath pity upon the poor, even if you suspect that it might not always go in the right way, giving them the benefit of the doubt to some degree, it says, he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. You're given to the Lord. And that which he hath given, will he pay him again? So even though you're not sure, and you can always, not always be sure, and you can't paint everybody with the same brush, say, oh yeah, all these single mothers, they're all like this, because they're not, by any means. Some are profligate, some are foolish, and some are just 
working hard and are just finding it very difficult uh, to pay the bills and to bring up their children properly. But notice that the Lord himself says, you give to them, but the Lord will pay you back. Consider this giving to the Lord. And so the proper objects of such charity are those in real poverty and real want and maybe unable to work. As Paul says in Galatians, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are of the household of faith. So we're to do good and to help all, most especially those within the church. Paul makes that distinction. And when are we to do that? When are we to do that at the time that it presents itself? And that's another principle that the Lord says in Proverbs 3 and 28. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. In other words, as the opportunity presents itself, as we seek to have a a wisdom and a godly heart of generosity, but discernment as well, but if you have it and you can give it, then the Lord says, remember, give it as to the Lord, and the Lord will repay you. And finally, the way of giving charitable acts is to be done quietly, even secretly, that the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing. And there's Matthew 6 and verse 4 and a whole section there around this verse, but just for brevity's sake, that thine arms, uh, the giving to the poor, may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Again, the promise of divine reward to those who take pity on those, and not necessarily that you think deserve it, but need it. But need it. There is a divine promise, and it's the second one that we've read, and it's not the only one in Scripture. So we finish with our understanding of of charity. When we consider what is required in the Eighth Commandment, the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, what's required in it, the Eighth Commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And where time is against us, and we'll close now uh, in a word of prayer. Our Lord and God, we thank Thee for Thy Word and for this teaching. We do pray, O Lord, where we've been uh, uncharitable, the Lord, that thou wilt help us to see our need to be charitable, to be kind and compassionate to those in need. Lord, for thou hast been so compassionate and kind toward us in our great need. We thank thee for that and we pray, Lord, uh, that uh, thy word will be written upon our hearts, that we may have teachable spirits and apply it in our lives. Lord, that there are these two aspects, not just the furthering Uh, our own wealth, but also that of others. And so, Lord, bless thy word to us. And, Lord, that we may bless thee. For we pray thee in the name of Jesus. Amen.